Townsville Little Theatre presents Ambiguous Loss by Michael Butt, directed by Donna Clayton Smith. Act 1. 477 Days. It was a Saturday, normal Saturday, 14th of May. Went to work in the morning, got in, thought brilliant, housed myself. Go to make a cup of tea and see a note on the table saying, gone for a walk. I don't think people understand how disturbing it is when someone you think, thought you loved over half your life, leaves and you don't know where they've gone or why they went. Yes, Aidan was... I suppose he took after me, really. He was quite reserved. At primary school, a teacher used to say, he's very, very... he works very hard, but he was often on his own in the playground. I think she worried about that, but he didn't complain. He seemed... he seemed perfectly happy. He knew how to play. It wasn't that he didn't know how to play. He was always playing with his dad. I loved that he was quiet, that he wasn't full of all the chat and he wasn't one of the lads. Other people used to, and I caught them quite often, looking and thinking, hmm, handsome young man and, and his mother. <laughs> but we looked, well, I suppose we cut quite a dashing couple. And Aidan looked so gorgeous, just so handsome. And I was just so proud that he was my husband and that he was my man. He was a studious boy. He was a very studious boy. I liked the fact that he was quiet and relaxed and... And I remember all of these amazing memories of him. Just seemed to be kind of quietly sure of himself. When we were kids, when we were growing up, the way he looked after me, the way he cared for me. And he'd come and give me a secret little goodnight kiss. And he came and picked me up and kissed me on the head and told me I'd been brave. Aww. He'd come in with his briefcase and his suit and he'd just look like, like a dad, you know? He was good with his hands. He was like his dad, was he? He was making things. He had a real flair. Made a lovely plane. I remember this plane he showed me with great pride. I thought, goodness, that's what you've been doing all this while. Aidan was so good in an artistic way, you know? He'd always be sort of like making something and, you I know. I remember the moment that Dad brought up the doll's house that he made for me. He made Carmella the most beautiful doll's house. It was amazing. You could have sold it in Harrods. It was just stunning. I just remember feeling like the luckiest girl in the world. I don't know. Just something about him. I just... I just loved him. I felt so safe in our little family, in our little, little unit. If he's dead now, then I think what I'm really going to remember is that I'm really proud of my dad. He was like my strong, silent type, you know. That's what Aidan is, was, was like. I'd been at Nicola's that morning because we were practicing for the summer concert. So Carmela's out, Jean's out. Go to make a cup of tea and see a note on the table saying, gone for a walk. I knew that he'd gone. He'd just left a note saying... He left a note saying, I've gone for a walk. So, okay, 
maybe he has just gone for a walk. So feeling grotty, feeling fluey, went upstairs and I thought, oh, little lie down on the bed before everyone comes home and look on the bed and there's his keys. Left his keys and his wallet and his credit card, everything. And his phone. And he left the car so that, so there was the car was still there. Maybe he's had to go into work. Maybe Mark's called. There's an emergency. There's a deadline. He's, he's got to go and help him with something. He's just changed his trousers and left his stuff and he's gone to work. And then I thought, maybe he's gone around to his mum's. Maybe his mum's called. I don't know. Maybe she's fallen or something like that and he's gone to help her. But yeah, when I think of it, something felt a little bit tight in my stomach, you know? And when I got in, I saw Mum on the sofa, which was weird because Mum's never sitting about. So Camilla says, where's Dad? And I just say he's gone to Nanny's. She said that Dad was at Nanny Helen's. I don't know why I did that. So I didn't think anything of it. Then you came home. Because I'd, I'd not really been around very much the few weeks before. Dad and I weren't getting on very well, and I had exams and, and that. So I was eating out at friends' houses for dinner and staying over at friends' houses. So Jean comes in. Me, Carmela, Jean. All eat our dinner. And she just said, your dad hasn't come home. Then all I could think of was this note. Don't panic. You know, I'm not a panicker. I'm not a flapper. I just thought, he'll come in in a minute. And Jean gets ready to go out. He's going out with his mates. Fine. He goes out with his mates. I'm with Carmela. So I say to her, why don't you go and have a nice bath for yourself? Because it's starting to bug me a bit now. So I need to get her out of the way. Saturday. Came a call from Sally. So I just ring. I ring Helen first, just to say, is he there? Have you seen him today? Who was in a terrible state. She wanted to know if Aidan was with me. And I said, no. No, he doesn't come around on a Saturday. He's and the way she is is not how I'd expect her to be. She's, she's made me feel weird. She then made me feel a bit unsettled. I just had this sense of unease. I, I don't know that it was more than that. So I said, never mind. I'm sure he'll come back later. I'll talk to you soon, bye. Then I just put the phone down. But then when she rang again later, I could hardly understand what she said. It was, if he's there, let me speak to him. Let me speak to him if he's there. I said, no, why should he be here? He's not here. She said, have you phoned the police? I said, you must ring the police. And I said, no, why would I phone the police? What? I was just very confused at her reaction. And I thought, all right, I've got to phone Mark Seaton. I don't like speaking to Mark, but just so I knew, because this was just getting a bit ridiculous now. And he says, no. He's not with me. I haven't seen him. And he was very quick to get off the phone. So then I'm thinking, no, this is a little bit weird. And then Carmela sort of catches me looking a bit thoughtful, I suppose, and asks me if everything's okay. And I said, yes, it's fine. I don't want her to be worried. I don't want to worry her. I don't want to worry anyone. So I tried to go up to bed, up to bed as normal. And I just kept thinking, He's going to walk in any minute and say sorry. And then I think, he's been a bit quiet lately. He has been quiet. 
He's been moody. Have I upset him? Has he had a row with his mum? Oh, your head's going mad with all these things. Is he... Has he met someone else? But he doesn't go anywhere to meet anyone else. That's when I started to get a little bit upset for the first time. Well, when it got to about five, and he's still not back, half five, still not back, and at six o'clock, I think, he must be with... He must be with Mark, then. It's the only other person that he spends time with. So I think I've left it as late or as early as you can to ring someone and not wake them up too early. And I ring Mark and he can tell I'm upset and I say, he must be with you because he hasn't come home. And he says, look, he hasn't been with me. He hasn't, I haven't seen him. And Mark says that he hasn't been at their work for weeks. He hasn't gone into work. So he hasn't seen Aidan and that their business is folding. He says that he thought I knew all this. I'm worried sick. Where has he gone? He's been in trouble and he hasn't told me. How can you not tell your wife that your business has gone down the pan? How can you not tell your wife that? I thought, I'd better phone the police, just in case. I don't know. Anyway, I rang and oh, it was a nice, nice man on the other end. He said, it's all right. He said, loads of people do this. Loads of people go off. Within 24 hours, they come home. That maybe, you know, some people, you just need to get away and come back, just to clear your head and not worry about it, and to ring back if you're still worried. But I just knew something was, something was wrong. So I go and lie down on the bed. And I do have a little cry. On Sunday morning, I heard Mum crying. She was in bed and she said, I don't know where he is. At this point, she starts to get really upset and distressed. So I'm looking after her and trying to calm her down. And it's good in a way because it takes my mind off me, you know. And Jean hears all of this going on and he comes in too. And Jean came in. Went out the night before and I woke up late on the morning. She just said, your dad hasn't come home. I think he's thinking that we should just wait. Dad will just rock up, he said. Dad will just rock and it'll be fine. It'll be fine. I wanted to go out and look for him. So she wants us to go out looking for him. And because I feel I want to do something as well, I think maybe it's a good idea. But Jean says it's a stupid idea. Well, the thing is in a situation like that, you know, where do you start? What do you start with? Yeah, I guess. And if you were still in Hartford and... and... And, you know, we've told everybody, yeah. everybody that knew him, look out for him. Someone's going to text us saying, I've just seen your dad. Yeah, but... And, you know, so, so running out onto the street, you know, it's a long shot, you know? But Carmel is <sighs> begging us to go. It's a long shot. So we do. God knows what we must have looked like. We just threw on anything. Just threw on our boots and a cardigan. It's a really... It was a long shot. But, you know, you can't just yeah. sit in the house and not do anything. You have to go out and search and, and know that you're doing everything that you possibly can. We're just wandering around. Wandering about. Like Mummy Duck, you know. With them following after me and I... And then we came home because it was just ridiculous and pointless. And then it suddenly hit me. I think he might have gone. 
we got everything ready. We got, we got the room painted. In those days, you didn't know if you were having a boy or a girl, nor did you want to know. And neither of us had any preference. We just wanted a healthy baby. And Leonard talked about what he'd do with his baby, what we'd do together. Aiden. He chose the name Aiden. I, I don't know if I had any other name. I loved the name. And Aiden was very healthy. Seven pounds, nine ounces. And we took him home and put him in his little cradle. With Leonard coming back in the evening, I wanted things to be nice. Then he'd come home and he used to charge up the stairs if I was bathing him and he'd say, let me take over, let me, let me do that. I could hear them giggling away, I could. He used to sing to him with that lovely, lovely voice of his. He used to sing wonderful songs, made up stories and we were very happy, very happy. So I don't get any sleep really. And Monday morning comes. I look a wreck. I feel a wreck. I just can't face work, which is so not like me. It'll be all right, I say. He's got to come back because it's my birthday soon. And then it's our anniversary. And then the kids have got their exams. So he's got to be around for that. So he's got to come back from wherever he's gone. He must have done a midlife crisis thing and he's lost his job and it's just a, a massive blow to his ego and he's gone off on one and he'll come back when he sorted himself out. When Carmela came around on, it was Monday morning, she came around and she was in a terrible state and she just hugged me. This poor little girl who'd lost her daddy, she didn't know what was going on. I said, you're all right, you're okay. Daddy will come back. Perhaps he just needed a bit of a break. He'll be back. He'll be back. The end of Monday now. So I did what that nice policeman told me to do, which was ring back and report him as a missing person. So the police came around? And they say they're going to send around someone who specialises in this kind of thing. And we all gave, you know, statements, like, like the last time we saw him. And I found that really, really hard because... I hadn't thought of anything terrible happening to him. I was still a bit annoyed with him, that he'd gone off and worried us all sick, and that he's going to come back. And the police had been searching and tracking all the hospitals, the police stations as well. And the lady said she needed a photo of him, and she needed to look through some of his things. They took some, some swabs of his clothes and, and, and stuff like that. And she got his... She got his hairbrush. <laughs> the most ridiculous thing. And she took the hair out of his brush and put it in a little, one of those little clear bag like, you know, you take on the plane. I wash brushes every day in my job. I don't think anything of it. But that was really, really grim. It wasn't nice at all. He went and watched his dad playing cricket most Saturdays. They were like best friends. They were very, very close and, as I say, they were always doing things, inventing things. He made, um, he made a tree house once for him, an oh, beautiful house, and I thought, wouldn't that be nice to have all his friends back? We'll have a party and I'll invite... No, he didn't need it. He just, you know, wanted a picnic in the garden and he wanted... He was, he was very happy doing his own thing, was Aidan. We went on holidays together and 
we got a caravan. I'd drive the car and the caravan onto the ferry and we'd drive over. Mont-Saint-Michel, I remember, in Normandy. And the first time he saw that huge, expansive beach and the sea, the sky, he was so excited and he was frightened a little bit, a little bit frightened as well. I remember this time like it was yesterday. He'd been sitting at the water's edge, just playing with his bucket. And I was sitting, we were both sitting on deck chairs, watching him and chatting. I think Leonard had dozed off. And I looked up and he wasn't there. He'd gone and my heart was beating. We rushed to the edge of the water to have a look. To see, we looked up and down, we ran up and down. It was thick with lots of children with buckets and spades, just like Aidan. I couldn't see him anywhere. I couldn't see him. But then finally, what he'd been doing, he'd been taking the water and putting the water into a hole and it was just out of sight. Oh, the relief when I saw him, the relief. But those caravan holidays were some of the happiest times of my life. The police rang back. They called me. Oh my God, when they got me on the phone, I, I thought they'd found him. The other thing was like, you didn't know who was going to phone next. So every time the phone rang, you thought that'll be him. But they hadn't. They were ringing to say that he'd been making mortgage payments for our house for the last three months on the credit card. We didn't know what we were preparing for. No, we didn't. If we were going to get bad news. If he was going to walk through the door. If we were going to find out something we didn't want to know, then we wanted to be ready for it. But also we didn't... we didn't want to hear it. And I kept swinging between feeling terrified for him and then feeling really cross with him because I've got to sort all this stuff out. All these bills keep coming through the door. All this stuff that was his, that was his job. Mum was trying to sort out a million and one things. And then the realisation of there's no money coming in. We might lose the house. I've got all these bills to pay. Initially, I thought maybe Dad was having an affair. An affair? Because Mum was, you know, Mum was like really extreme and I thought maybe dad had, maybe dad had walked out. I thought maybe he was, you know, maybe he had another family, you know, because when Mark said that the business had gone bust, I thought maybe he... I thought that he must be ill. There must be something really wrong with him. Maybe he lost his memory once I found out about the business. Maybe he was scared. The thing was, why would you do that, you know? People go bankrupt, whatever. People lose their whole families in tsunamis or... Or people's lives get completely wiped off and they stick around... Yeah, but maybe he couldn't do family. that. The thing was, why wouldn't he have just jumped off a bridge? He obviously thought there was something to go on for, without us. And I was angry. I felt really angry when, we, when he first went because I thought, he's a coward. How can you leave your two children going through some of the most important times of their lives? And your wife, with nothing, you know? Jean has been amazing. Just quietly getting on with stuff, going to sixth form, studying, and he said he'd like to carry on and do his A-levels, even though I said he doesn't have to do them now. But Carmela, our little Caramella, she can't.
She can't. She doesn't know what day it is, bless her. She's not eating properly. She's not sleeping. I swear I'm mad with him. I'm mad with him. He should be here because she needs her daddy. Mum was still in constant contact with the police, but I just felt like things kind of stopped. Camilla was looking online about people going missing. What you should do and any helplines she could call. So I started looking at missing people. And she said she'd come across this thing called Missing People. It's an organisation set up for people that have disappeared. About a quarter of a million people go missing every year. 90% of them turn up within 48 hours. And when I started looking at all this stuff, it had been at least a week. You can go online and you can... So you can register them. Register with them. You can fill out a form and let them know. And you can give them all the details, their height, their eye colour, their hair colour, when you last saw them, what they were wearing when they left. Mum didn't want that. No. I said, you don't know what these people do. You can't just forward someone's personal details on the internet. She thought it would be weird for Dad if he saw a picture of himself. You know, we don't want to get in trouble here. We don't want to tell people. We haven't told our families and friends yet. We don't want to. Mum didn't want any big posters or or anything like that. She kept going on about it. I mean, I'm talking about it now, but I find it almost impossible to mention the word depression. I'm feeling a little bit down, he'd say. I don't think we talked about it. I think Leonard, I thought he should have seen a doctor, but he was too ashamed. He didn't want to see anybody. And of course, when our son was born, I really felt that if he'd got this disease, this illness off his mother, could he pass it on to his child? I didn't let my fear for Aidan take over, but when the dark times came, when the depression came, he didn't want to know his own son. And that was very hurtful. And I didn't know how to tell. I, I said, Daddy's not well. He's not very well. Just leave him. He's just gone to bed a little bit earlier. He's tired and he'll be better soon. He'll be better. That was very hard because this was his friend. This was his... They weren't like father and son a lot of the times. They played together. That was his only friend, his best friend. He'd been bad for quite a few weeks, but he was forcing himself to work. He was forcing himself to go, and I remember seeing him for the last time. I remember the morning. He got his briefcase, and it was like he was haunted. There was nobody there. His eyes were... But he didn't look at me when he left. He'd usually turn around... When he was well, he'd turn around and blow me a kiss, give me a little wave. I heard the rover drive off. And that was the last, last time I saw him. It was a hot day and I just remember the words, you know? Accident. And it was Leonard. His mind was in a dark place and I... I think I knew it wasn't an accident. Day to day you have to deal with stuff. You have to deal with the practical stuff, which I'm getting used to. Getting up, 
Getting everyone out, getting organised. Mum was working. Finances were the main thing. Mum was working all through this, you know. Citizens' advice have been brilliant. So I could budget. Hadn't had to watch money for a long time. I reshuffled everything. Downsized, sold the car. Sold the car? Yeah, we had to sell both of them and get a Vauxhall Corsa instead. We sold some of the other stuff in the house as well. Mm. And Jean's exams are coming up. During the year, the plan had always been for me to go into uni to do animation, which is what I wanted to do. And so I threw myself into that for a bit, with him, giving him time. Wasn't really sure about doing that at first. But Mum was like, you have to go. This is really important for you. You can do... You know, she didn't go to university, so she she was really determined that I would go and, and do that. And he did really well. He did really well. Not like a genius, but the grades I needed to get into Portsmouth. I was going to get those grades anyway. But I found it really simple to go into my bedroom and revise. The routine sort of helped. And he applied. And he got into Portsmouth to do animation, which is amazing. So that was a real happy point, a high point, something to grab onto. I didn't want to go through with GCSEs while I couldn't focus on them. So Mum spoke to the school and I was allowed to take them in November instead. And Camilla was going back to school and getting on with her life, trying to get on with her life and day to day. I just couldn't sit around all the time. So I was still going in for the summer concert rehearsals and it was... It was really weird because I thought that everyone would be looking at me. Nobody even really cared. Apart from this one girl. I don't know if she meant to, but she kind of suggested that maybe Dad had ran off with another woman. When I spoke to Mum about it, she said, absolutely no way. I kept on watching the clock all the time. It's as if something stopped. Time stood still in one way. But the other part of you is getting on with stuff. You have to get on with stuff. It will be with me forever, really, that day. The thing was, I had to tell his son, didn't I? I had to tell Aidan he'd lost his dad. I drove around to the secondary school. He was only 14. He was just a... he was just a boy. And I drove around and I waited. His little face, his little face. I remember him coming down the corridor, his blazer far too big for him. And I had to tell him his dad was dead, that he wouldn't see him again. It was the worst day of my life. And I hugged him, I hugged him. I wanted to take away all his pain. And you know, as I hugged him, I thought, He's a big lad. He's a big lad. And I realised he was hugging me, actually. After a while, he was sort of hugging me. And before I knew it, we were back in the car. We were going home. I drove back home and he made me a cup of tea. His little face. He didn't cry. He didn't cry once. But he saw me completely collapsed. I mean, I... I don't know how I could have dealt with it otherwise. I could have dealt with it better. But at the time, that's all I could, I could do. I just collapsed. But you know, it was as though he was being strong for me. 
and he looked after me. The funeral, I remember my boy handing around the plates of sandwiches and talking to my sisters. It was a terrible time because it had been delayed, you see, the funeral. They had to have an inquest. Apparently someone saw him accelerate into the bridge. But the coroner said that this had been an accident. Well, people didn't know what to say though. Everyone seemed a little bit embarrassed. Aidan was wonderful. He held us together. When the kids were little, we used to alternate and go to my mum and dad's one Sunday and then go to Aidan's mum. There's something about Helen's house that, well, dad didn't like going there very much. I don't know. He'd always be chat and then want to leave. I don't know. They, they didn't really hug each other or... But that was just him and his mum, I think. They stopped coming around to visit. Why? What was not to be liked about a visit to see Granny, to see Mother? They didn't really speak much, Dad and Nanny Helen. For some reason, I still rack my brain to think, what have I done? Have I, have I done anything? I don't think that they're very close. I enjoyed those visits. I enjoyed them. Jean has memories of being there when he was younger. I don't really have any memories, so... apart from knowing that something wasn't quite right. I go around to Helen's for coffee. Sometimes it's really helpful. Sometimes it's not. And I've been going around to Nanny Helen's ever since it happened, but... You know, we get the photos out and... She'd show me photos of him when he was young and stuff. Sometimes we'd both just end up crying. Until we can't cry anymore. Camilla keeps telling me. She kept telling me about this missing people and that they can help and that when I'm having all these thoughts and, and when I'm worrying and getting upset to call someone who knows about this stuff. And I did. One night. It was in the middle of the night and, and they listened. And they told me that it was like a roller coaster of emotions and feelings. And that's exactly how I felt. That it comes in waves. And that's what it's like. And Camilla wanted to go further and this missing people, they can put a campaign like a, a missing persons campaign when you put up posters and you try and find the person. But I don't want to do that. I didn't want to do that. It just seemed wrong and vulgar and just not right. So I just left it. And when there were times when I needed to pick up the phone and talk to someone, I did. And they were very, very helpful. We sat down and... Mum finally agreed to register Dad to missing people. We filled out the form to get... She helped me fill out the form online. Which was amazing. And then you have to start thinking about Christmas. What you're going to do with no money. The first Christmas after Dad had gone was quite tough. Those big occasions, you think... What's Dad doing? Well, Where is he? Yeah. Yeah, t today must... Is he thinking of I don't us? Know. Is he thinking about us? This is hard. This is really hard. Is it hard for him? But we decided together that we were going to have Christmas. I was going to cook dinner and that Jean would be coming home from uni. I'd come home from uni. I felt like Mum and Carmelo were carrying on. But they didn't realise how bad it was. You know, it was taking their toll. So we did. We had the dinner. And we had my dad around. I asked Helen if she wanted to come, but 
she didn't want to come, so that's fine. Mum was on these tranquilizers. She spent most of the day either in the bedroom, on the sofa, or in front of the TV. I got them each a present, and they got me a handbag. It was really lovely. It was a bit of a shock. And, and we decided that I wouldn't go back to uni. Then Jean tells me in the kitchen that he's not going back to uni. Mum and I didn't want Jean to do that. To just throw away his future like that. So I say, why? Are you not liking it? Are you not liking your course? And he says he's coming home to help. We were pretty strapped for cash and, and there was no point in me being at uni with all this, this student loan. I couldn't concentrate at uni about anything. So, so it was better that I came back and started contributing, you know? What an amazing son. And the point was, we needed to start making practical steps toward, toward getting back to some, some normal or, or something more like normal, you know? We needed to make some kind of progression. Yeah, we did. I remember on one occasion hearing him crying. And like I said, he never cried after his dad died. He never cried. But remember hearing this sobbing and I went up to his door and I was frightened of going in. So I knocked very carefully. I said, Aidan, and the crying stopped immediately. And I said, Aidan, but he didn't say anything. So I went back downstairs and left him to it. But as I say, I didn't want to pry, but I needed to know he was all right. Should I have talked to him then? Anyway, these periods of despair, this anger, tantrums, this deep unhappiness, I was braced for something and it looked as though these episodes, they were what his dad had had. And I said, look, why don't you just go and talk to the doctor? They're very understanding. He came back and said he'd been. I asked him various questions. He didn't answer. He just went to his room, closed the door, and that was it. When Aidan's birthday came around, you don't know what to do. I think that's the first time I thought of the reality that he might be dead. I don't think you can think like that. But I didn't tell the children. Because if you think like that, then you've already given up. And I haven't given up. And I won't give up. We got the photo albums out. We spoke about him. We looked at our family pictures, our holiday pictures, and all I was thinking is, I don't know him. I, don't, I didn't know him. Complete stranger. I wasn't sleeping. I, wa I wasn't seeing any friends. Didn't have a girlfriend. It felt pretty lonely. When I want to feel close to Aiden, I go into his room. I just sit on his bed. I open the drawers and I hold a shirt close to me. Some days, I just wish he'd come in the door. Just to see him. Just to touch him. Just to smell him. There've been times. There've been times when I've thought, if Dad does come back. When Dad comes through the door, back, it's... What will we say to him? Something that I think about every single day, but who knows? He lost his dad. How could he do that to his own children? I think he could either come back as a man who knowingly left his family, and that's scary, 
Because we want to know why. How can he make them feel the pain that he must have felt? I don't get it. I don't get that. Or the other way that he'll come back, he'll be ill. Because then he won't really be dad. So I want to find him. So I can row with him about that. Sometimes, in my darkest moments, I thought... I thought maybe it would be better if Dad was dead. I just have some days where I'm just knackered and I can't be bothered with it all. If they found a body, if they found a body, then that would free us. Maybe. maybe. Some days when I'm really angry. But the main thing is, we all need some kind of closure, some kind of response to move on properly. And sometimes, I wish I'd never met him. But until the phone call comes to say they've found a body, I have to have hope, don't I? Went around to Helen's for a usual coffee and a cry. Coffee, cake and a cry, you would say. It haunts me all the year round. Why did he choose the same day to walk out? The day he lost his dad. I opened up to her about the fact that I think he might have gone, gone. He knows how I suffered at the time. He knows how Sally will be suffering. And yet he did it anyway. So I'm asking her what it was like when she lost her husband. What it was like to be a widow. I'm thinking, do I tell her the truth about Leonard? And how she felt when Aidan's dad had that awful car crash. Do I tell her? What will that do to her now? And she said that now that Aidan wasn't around... I did say all about the depression and about the so-called accident. She told me that his dad drove his car into a wall. His dad killed himself. I don't think he ever told her much about Leonard, which made me very sad. And that his dad had depression. And then she tells me that Aidan had depression as a teenager. I remember her little face crumpling. When I started going out with him, he was taking antidepressants. It haunts me still what he went through. You see, he'd lost his best friend. All of this time, I've been worrying for him, worried sick for him, that he's been hurt. And now I'm thinking, was he that depressed that he wanted to kill himself? And how the hell didn't I know any of this? She said, do you think, do you think he's taken his life? And then I ransacked my own place. Every drawer, every cupboard, everything he ever owned is now out on the floor. I'm looking for anything, prescriptions, anything. I found Mum packing all of Dad's clothes into bed liners to take off to the charity shops. I just couldn't live with it anymore. I needed to get it out because I felt cheated. He'd lied to me. So I got the bin bags out and Carmella comes in and the colour drains from her face. You can't just erase somebody when you don't know what's happened to them. And she begs me to go further with this ringing missing people again. I told her what I wanted to do with the missing people publicity campaign. But between us, we put his things away. And actually, she finally listened. I agree to do whatever we can to try and find him. Just try and do something. And I pick up the phone. And so, at the end of August, we did it. We finally launched the campaign, so now it's out there. It's exciting. And she tells me how it works. She says they don't put the posters everywhere, on bridges, on trees and everything. It doesn't work like that. That they put the posters where they think your missing person might have been, 
or to might have a connection with, and they put it in hostels. You know, putting his name out there and, and looking for them in homeless hostels and stuff like that. They don't put the person's details on. They do have a picture and then a number, a number that they can call if they want to contact home. It didn't seem worthwhile. There seemed to be no point, but I had to go along with it for them. I had to give them some hope. Some days, I just wish he'd come in the door. I don't know if I want him to come back. And sometimes, I wish I'd never met him. I don't know if my mama wants him to come back. I sometimes think we're holding on to a memory, a memory of someone that betrayed us. I don't believe that I shall find him. I don't believe that I shall see him again. If Dad was listening to this, I'd say, please come home. We miss you. Hi, you've reached missing people. How can we help? My name is Aiden. <laughs> this was a Townsville Little Theatre production of Ambiguous Loss, written by Michael Butt and transcribed by Bridget Douglas. Sally was Jacinta Ryan. Helen was Nancy Nicholson. Jean was Zane Walker. Carmela was Kalani Gia. Amy was Hilary Bell. Aiden was David Brooke Taylor. If this performance has raised any issues for you, please ask for help. You can reach free confidential services that offer support and are accessible 24-7, such as Lifeline on 13 11 14, Beyond Blue on 1-300-224-636, or the Australian Federal Police Missing Persons Hotline on 1-800-000-634. Voice recording and sound design by Tom Marks. Artwork by Dane Hallam. Ambiguous Loss was directed by Donna Clayton-Smith and was produced during the 2020 coronavirus pandemic.